thanks to ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode and The Smartest Way to Hire. Running a business is full of tough calls. One of the biggest, hiring. Finding the right people to keep your business moving and growing isn't easy, but ZipRecruiter has found a way to streamline the process. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to actively find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So if you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large at Recode. You may know me as someone who would definitely swipe left on you, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, I'm passing the microphone to Recode senior social media editor, Kurt Wagner, who interviewed the CEO of Match Group, Mandy Ginsberg. Take it away, Kurt. Thank you, Kara. I'm here in San Francisco with Mandy Ginsberg, who's the CEO of the Match Group. Mandy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming to San Francisco because you're not actually, you don't live in San Francisco. I learned you live in Dallas. Well, I live on a plane technically yeah. these days. But um, but no, I live in Dallas, which is where um, the Match brand is based. Um, but we've got brands all over the place. So I spent a lot of time on planes and on the West Coast. I was going to ask if you live on an airplane because I don't think of Dallas as being a place for the tech media worlds, which is what you obviously live in and work in. So how often are you on the road? I'm on the road a lot. We have um, 1,500 employees across 20 offices, and we've got big offices in Vancouver and LA, Tinder's in LA. We've got um, offices in Paris and Japan and New York and Dallas. In fact, I got a call 13 years ago um, that said that, you know, match the dating company was based in Dallas, Texas, um, which I was shocked. I had no idea at the time I was living in Dallas. And so, um, and they were looking for someone to run a startup within the Match business. And so that's that's how I found out for the first time that Match was in Dallas, Texas. You didn't even know. And you, and you grew up there. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, although um, I don't have big hair, which you can't see. Um, <laughs> you cannot hear it. And that you actually true. cannot can, hear it. You cannot can hear confirm. it through my voice. Yeah. I, um, although every once in a while I'll say y'all. But yes, I grew up in Dallas. But um, Came out to California at 18 um, to Berkeley to Cal, go Bears, and um, spent yeah. a lot of lot of my career on the West Coast and then, you know, a lot of other places. Okay. But you've been with Match for like 12 years now? Yeah. So I've been, been back in Dallas. Yeah. I've been back in Dallas um, after I finished business school. I went back to Dallas and I've been there since and um, kind of got lucky enough to be back in consumer internet through the sort of miracle that Match was in Dallas. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I want to I get to kind of all of that and hear also a little bit more about what you did, you know, pre-Match, um, especially pre-kind of your current role, but within Match. Um, so, but then I eventually, you guys have so much going on right now. I mean, there's uh, Facebook is all of a sudden getting into dating. That's new. Uh, there's been the Bumble lawsuit, which I've written about a lot, which has been very colorful. Yeah. Um, you just made an acquisition, I believe, of Hinge, right? Which is relatively new. I think that was just last week. Um, yes, we uh, we actually have the majority share it with the right to buy them. But yes, I okay. Mean, I think so that, a yeah, that's the plan. Strong investment. Yes. Um, so we have a ton to get to, but right. um, let's talk a little bit more about you and a little bit more about kind of how you became CEO of Match Group. So uh, I mentioned you grew up in Dallas. You went to Berkeley. Um, I think you spent some time in Tel Aviv. Like, what is your give me give me your kind of thirty second story here? Like, how did you? kind of get into to the tech and media worlds? Well, I can talk about the tech and media world, but I'll tell you, I, I you know, no one in my family ever that I can remember ever had a boss. I mean, everyone was an entrepreneur and they, you know, ran their own business. And I'll tell you, when I graduated from business school and I told my grandfather that I got a job, he didn't talk to me for a week because he <laughs> said, you can always make more money working for yourself than working for someone else. And so that was the mentality I grew up with and was always pretty fascinated with businesses, not because of just the business, but the stories that, I mean, a lot of people love sports. They love the stories of the players. I loved the stories of, of businesses. What was your grandfather doing? Like, what did your parents do? Oh, God. I mean, my grandfather had so many businesses. He had an organic pesticide business. He had a chain of movie theaters in the South, you know, for a long time. He had um, an air conditioning business. Um, so he he would buy startup businesses and did many of them over the course of his life. And then uh, my dad owns a chain of teenage driving schools. So really? he also— Driver's uh, Ed. Driver's Ed. Throughout. Does he yeah. get in the car? Is he a He is not certified, instructor? so he does not actually uh, drive with kids. But, yeah. um, but it's a great annuity business. You're always going to have 16-year-olds. Every year, a, new, a fresh batch yes. of, of students and customers. Yeah. Um, okay, so, and then what was your first job? 
Most people, like, they get out of school, they tell their parents, hey, I got a job, and they're, like, glowing with pride, and your grandpa's Yeah, like, well, that was business school, but I, you know, I, I went to Cal and always really was pretty fascinated with, um, really, I mean, just getting into people's heads um, and now hearts. But um, but I left, I was a bit of an adventure, and I left Cal, and I moved to Israel. <laughs> so I took a group of teenagers and fell in love with the tour guide, which is such a cliche. <laughs> Told my parents I was staying in Tel Aviv, which— you know, they were not thrilled about. And I, it was a really interesting time. I worked for a software company at the time, and it was a great technology company, but they needed to be able to translate what they were doing into language, into English language, because they were selling in Europe and the U.S. And so I did a lot of their marketing for them. And at the time, this was in the 90s in Israel when, you know, things were really booming. So it was pretty fun to be in that sort of startup nation at the time of truly the startup. Yeah, and the tour guide thing is like a movie script or something. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I know that that didn't ultimately, that you're no longer married to the tour guide, is that? Correct? I am no longer married to the tour guide, who's now a, um, a psychologist, but um, but we did have a daughter and, you know, we left, we parted ways amicably and, you know, yeah. both went on to have like great families afterwards. Yeah. And, and tell me, because I believe you were, I, I've read a few things that you were, you know, had your daughter and then you went to grad school after that, right? And so you were a single mother going through grad school. Yeah. You've talked about, you know, being a female executive and kind of the importance and the, and the power of that right now, especially given, you know, a lot of the conversations over the last couple of years in tech. How do you view that role that you kind of play? You know, I remember, it's funny, I went to business school, frankly, because I, my sister went to Wharton and her friends were so fascinating. One of them was running this, the San Francisco Opera. They just had really cool jobs. And I had been at a PR firm in, in San Francisco for five years and I was trying to figure out what my next move was. And they were so interesting. So I thought their lives are so interesting. I, I should just go to business school because there's going to be opportunities that pop up. So my first day at business school, some guy asked me, what do you want to do? Um, and I said, I don't know. And he said, well, I want to be the CEO of a Fortune 50 company. And I looked at him and I said, well, that's the dumbest aspiration I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm like, who thinks that way? And, um, and so I certainly wouldn't have thought that I'd be running a you know $13 billion tech company at that point. But what I did know is I just had to do something I was passionate about. Um, and then about a week in, that was day one, and a week in, that's when um, my ex-husband now told me he was moving back to Tel Aviv. And at that point, I had this little, you know, one-year-old, and, I, and I, it was all me. And I just, I think I just written my first tuition check, so which was like, I don't know, it felt like gazillions of dollars at the time. Um, I do remember exactly to the dollar how much I owed after those two years. But, um, but I just didn't, I mean, I was already in, I, you know, right. I, I had to, sort of, I, I committed and, um, and, you know, after like days and days of just, you know, really kind of a meltdown, I was like, I, I just got to figure this out. And yeah. so, and then once I figured it out through the months and years, I was like, you know what, if I can figure this out, I, I think I can figure out pretty much anything thrown at me. I imagine that, um, an experience like that prepares you for a lot of stuff after school. I think it does. You know, you don't know how strong you are until you're tested, and these are the things that test you in life. Yeah. Okay, so um, you graduate. What's next? You said you started working, what, and you said software? Yeah, well, what happened was I actually started a business in logistics transportation, which we oh. were way ahead of our time with a couple of buddies. We had, like, no money, and I had a kid. Yeah. And so ultimately, we ended up building this um, technology, selling it to one of the biggest um, logistics provider on the East Coast. So we didn't really lose too much money, thankfully. And then um, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at the time. And I had this three-year-old now, two years later. And um, and I ended up getting a um, job in Dallas for a small B2B software company, a supply, supply chain software company. And I just, you know, sometimes you just have to make choices in life, not based on how excited and passionate you are about the path, but really what else it gives you. And at that time, because my mom was sick, I just needed to get closer to Dallas and I yeah. wanted to be with her. And it was, it really, it was one of the best decisions I made. And I have no regrets about doing that because I thought for sure I'd be back on the West Coast. Yeah. And then when you were in Dallas, how... Um, did you find out about the match stuff? Was that kind of the next big thing for so you? So I did the um, the software company for about five years, and I ran um, marketing for um, the organization. They were darling in the stock market just prior to me being there. So yeah. <laughs> it was the beginning of the sort of the you know downturn at that company. Um, and then when I left, because the company wasn't doing well, 
um, I got a call from a recruiter, actually. She was based out here, and we had a lot of friends in common at Stanford and Cal. And she said, look, we're looking for someone who's got really understands consumer internet. And prior to business school, I was doing a ton of marketing for consumer internet businesses, did a lot of work for Microsoft products. And um, we, I actually was responsible for the PR launch around Hotmail. And at that point, they were talking about changing the name, which seems crazy. So what? Do you remember? I don't remember, but, you know, it's like, how do you change the name Hotmail? It's like right. the hottest name you have. So Now it's kind of a joke, right? If you see someone with a Hotmail account, right. you're like, what the hell is yes, going on? Yes, I know. It yeah. sort of dates me, doesn't it? But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so um, so I uh, was excited because I it was the first time I had heard about a business that I was pretty, I thought it was real consumer-focused. I was I, the heart. I was a marketer, and I did a ton of PR mm-hmm. at the time, and you know, non-traditional marketing. And um, and they were making a bet on someone. They just didn't want a a um, typical general management background. They wanted someone that had marketing chops. So that's yeah. how I got the job. So how has Match Group changed? Because you've been there, what we say, twelve years, and. Right now, I was actually shocked because I think of you guys for the obvious, right? The Tinder, Match.com, uh, what is it? Plenty of Fish, OK, okay Cupid, Cupid yeah. right? Like these are names, these are household names. But you guys own something like, what, 40 something different brands that are all dating. So were those, how many of those existed when you joined versus kind of now? Like what did it look like back then? Oh, I mean, this is, I think, one of the proudest um, sort of last sort of 12 years looking back. Actually, I, I realized that every time we have the summer party, which the first time I was there, it was one brand, 200 people in Dallas. The summer party just happened two weeks ago, and um, I think it was 100 degrees outside. And at the time, the guy who was um, my boss decided we got to have a summer party. Let's do it outside in Texas. He was a New Yorker, as so it was a bad idea. And um, and it was just this, I think I knew every single person's name. And now we've got, you know, like I said, 1,500 people. And we had the last summer party, and we didn't have all 1,500 people, but we had about five or 600 people that came in, about 350 in Dallas. And then we had people coming in from all over the globe. And we do this big all hands, and it's pretty amazing because you've got the guy who runs our Japanese office, which is one of our fastest growing businesses, which is a household name in Japan. So he presented— Which is called what? Pears. Pears, okay. Like— Couple, yeah, like a, a pair. Yeah, sure. um, we had uh, our European team that was presenting, which was great, and about all the innovation they're focused on in Europe. Um, and then we had uh, the guy who presented that runs a business that has multiple brands. And those brands include, you asked me about Our Time, which is for 50 plus, Black okay. People Meet, which is the leading um, African American um, dating app. We just launched BLK, which is for young millennial um, African Americans. And we launched Chispa, which is a uh, big partnership we did with Univision to attract the Latino community. And so where we see opportunity, it's really this portfolio play, but not just the portfolio play in the U.S., but really at a global yeah. level. Do you guys own, a, what is it, Farmers Only? We do not. not Everyone f- always asks me that. Do I they? Think, yes. I, think, I just think there's something about, it just seems so different for yeah. people who are urbanites. So I, but no, we don't. don't own farmers. I, we don't own farmers. I don't know how big that business is. I can't imagine it's massive given yeah. there's not a huge farming communities. But I mean, it is, I, I do get asked all the time. What's the most unique kind of uh, dating service that you own? Is there a specific group that is, might surprise people that there's uh, a dating service just for that group? I think that, um, well, I mean, we've got a series of small brands that are think people like um, LDS dating. So, and for people, generally, people are divorced in the Mormon community. So, mm-hmm. there's just very, those are very small. I think the biggest one and one of our um, fastest growing segment is over fifty. Yeah, because people. I mean, I guarantee you, certainly ten years ago, people never thought about um, about dating as you got older. Yeah, but I think what really happened is the more people got used to interacting in social circles especially through Facebook as they got older, I think they felt much more comfortable trying dating apps. And so yeah. we've seen this real, and also with in the U.S. with divorce rate, rates being at 50%, um, it's hard as you get older to figure out where to meet people. And so that's a segment that I, you know, I'm really proud that we, we are able to help. I'm always fascinated because a lot of these kind of upstarts, and we're, we're going to talk about Bumble and obviously Tinder, which you guys do own, and um, they, they're started by young single people who are trying to, they're living that life, right? Um, you are not living the young single dating life. You uh, are married and I know you have at least one uh, beautiful daughter. You brought her into our office this morning, but how hard or different is it to run a dating business when you're not dating? 
Like, do you even use your products or are you able to use your products? Well, I mean, I I can't say I use the products, but they're all downloaded on my app. And actually, we just launched a new app and I got connected with my uh, my cousin. It was so funny. He's <laughs> in his 20s. I took a screenshot and I sent it to him. You need he to said, work on the AI for, He said for that's that gross. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ew. Um, but I do think, I mean, first of all, you know, unlike a lot of products or businesses, it's very hard sometimes to connect to the, um, the products that you create, especially the B2B products you create. But you know, we're humans, we're in relationships. It's not so long ago that a lot of us were dating. And so it's not that, it's not a huge leap to imagine what it's like, although it's changing. We have to have our pulse on what's happening with younger um, demographic because it it really is changing. I talk to my daughter who's 20 quite a bit. Um, And then we also talk to users all the time and we do focus groups all the time. We have people in our offices all the time. Um, But, you know, for me, when I was divorced before I got married again, I I actually used dating apps. Um, There was no apps at the time. I used dating sites. Um, But it's good because you sort of realize the ups and downs. I mean, dating is hard. Yeah. Um, Online dating reflects what happens in the dating world and um and just the rejection, the hopefulness, the ups and downs of dating. I just think that you have to get that in, pe- in your mindset, particularly at least for me, um, for women, because ultimately we've got to make products that are relevant for women. Or the men, will, I mean, you know, the men will come um, if yeah. the women are there, but if we don't make great products for women, you don't have a dating app. Yeah. So, or at uh, least at least when we're talking about the heterosexual population. Sure. I want to talk about Facebook because I write about Facebook a lot. And I believe it was just a month ago, maybe at this point, maybe two months ago, six weeks ago, that they announced they were getting into dating, um, which is any time a Facebook or a Google or an Apple says, hey, we're getting into this industry, things, uh, you know, the existing players kind of get on edge. So um, walk me through that day. I think it was like May 1st. Mark Zuckerberg goes, hey, we're getting into dating. What was going through your mind? Were you surprised? Well, first of all, I literally was just finishing at that moment my earnings script, which was a few days later we had earnings. And so I was putting the finishing touches on my remarks for earnings. And then my phone started ringing um, and I started getting texts all within a period of like five, six minutes, like check out the news, check out the news. What the heck's going on? And as I looked down at my phone, I see the stock, our stock ticker, and our price is starting to plummet. And I said, what the heck is going on? So um, we did see our stock take quite a big hit yeah. during that day. But, you know, the people ask me a lot, were you surprised? I mean, yes, that actual day I was, because then I literally had just printed the script, and I threw it behind my desk, and all the papers flew everywhere. It's I like just a movie scene. It. it was a movie scene. And then I was like, I got this. My, now, there's only one topic on this earnings call, which ended up being, you know, although we had one of our, our really our best quarter we've ever had. But anyway, but a lot of questions are around Facebook. Right. So um, I am not, certainly not shocking because if we, we studied the single population, we do these huge studies every quarter with, you know, thousands of people, um, well, globally, but in the U.S. And forever, I mean, years and years, people are saying that they met their um, partners through Facebook. Now it's like reconnecting through old friends or through a friend of a friend, or they met at a party and they reconnected on Facebook. And so we do, that's that's a phenomenon that exists, which what we call sort of implicit dating mm-hmm. or alibi dating. The fact that they went out and said, no, we really want to connect people um, to date. Um, you know, we, like, I think that was surprising more from trying to understand, you know, their motivations because, um, you know, they, they've they've stayed away from it quite intentionally right. in the dating, the dating arena. But anyway, so... Well, it's interesting timing, right? I mean, given everything they've gone through with kind of user privacy and, and maybe not being the most responsible when it comes to handling data, I imagine in the, in the dating world, you have to be particularly cautious about that. You have to be really cautious about it. And, you know, our business is 95% subscription or like these a la carte features mm-hmm. for um, our businesses. So we don't, you know, we, we're 5% advertising or less. It's a very small percentage of our, our business. And so we're not in the business of selling data, targeting users. Um, it's just much smaller. And so we have the ability to optimize based on you know, improving people's experience, yeah. their dating experience. And that's not necessarily the case for advertisers. And is so, it, um, Sorry to interrupt, but is it just because it's, it's too creepy? I imagine, you know, if I match with someone and they know we're in San Francisco and they know we're, you know we're going to go on a date, that seems to me like a super great opportunity for a restaurant or a coffee shop or someone to give me a 10% off coupon, right? Like, hey, come have your date here. 
we'll give you free dessert. Well, let or me whatever. ask you, and I happen to know that you're getting married, so I uh, am. But, yeah. So, but if you would out on a date with someone, would you, um, when the waiter came, would you give him a coupon? Would I use a coupon? No, okay, I would not. So, well, yeah. I would now because you know I've already I've already. Uh, but then you shouldn't be on our app. Me, but, so, but yes, yeah. yes. So I mean, I do think there are opportunities, but what we've seen is that, look, when we went public a couple of years ago, we actually thought that our advertising business would be bigger. And what we didn't realize at the time, particularly with Tinder, is that we weren't sure how, um, you know, if millennials are going to pay for these products. And what we found is that they are willing to pay for these products because it creates more value for them in the dating experience. And, you know, given how much we were able to monetize that stream, which is really around either giving you more attention or making you more successful by giving you things to, you know, show people that you're interested in them, for example. Um, it just made a lot more money. It was a lot more um, efficient than advertising. And so we ended up spending a little bit less focus and engineering time and energy on the advertising side just because it was just a smaller opportunity relative to the other piece. Yeah. Um, but going back to your point about is it um, important uh, yeah, I mean, the privacy issue is hugely important in dating. And um, we really, you know, people have to come to us and realize that we, we're not going to expose their information, we're not going to sell their information, and that they have to feel confident because dating is highly, highly personal. And you certainly wouldn't want to give people access right. to, you know, how you um, interact with a woman that you're excited about or interested in in, the, in a dating app. And so it was surprising. Um, we have seen that people want to f- separate their dating lives from Facebook. Um, we had heard that anecdotally. We saw it in a few facts, which I'm happy to talk about. So we were surprised at the timing and just, at, you know, how, given the climate now, um, felt like it was an odd time to introduce something yeah. that um, could create real concerns for consumers. And I uh, read a story in Fortune about you um, and your business and just kind of the dating world. And um, the lead, it was it was interesting. It was like Barry Diller sitting there in a meeting and saying, oh, yeah, uh, Cheryl called me last night to tell me Facebook was getting into dating. So I imagine, were you, not that you had much of a heads up, it sounds like it was like less than a day that, that yeah. they were you know, tipped off as a courtesy, but um, were you shocked at the stock reaction or at this point are you, you know, does that make sense to you? Um, You know, I think that anytime Facebook makes overt gestures of getting into a category, I think the market pays attention. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, sort of post our earnings and I sort of laid out all the arguments um, around why this is, particularly for um, Tinder, and I can talk a little bit about it. Yep. I think so. The first thing that I, I said. So, back to your question, the market definitely had a you know after the sort of the big shock of the news, our stock is was back up, not to where it was yeah. prior. Well, I helped but you. You said you had a positive earnings call a just po- a few days later, right? So I'm we sure we had a great earnings call. But the same thing was, yeah. I mean, we we actually took a hit right with our earnings call, um, you know, and so. But over the last month or so, we were able to sort of gain some ground. Um, but I think that, you know, the arguments we laid out and also that some of the investors and the analysts have gone out there with makes people feel a little bit more confident and our ability to continue to, you know, drive growth. And so I think that, you know, while shaky at the beginning, I, I'm not sure people see it as viable of a um, of a threat. Particularly, Tinder's our big growth engine, and Tinder tends to skew very young, so mm-hmm. 18 to 25. Um, Facebook does not skew that young in general. And then we also uh, stated the fact that when we introduced, it used to be prior to last year that if you joined Tinder, you had to join through Facebook. Now we give them another option to be able to sign up through Tinder through their um, phone, through SMS. Mm-hmm. And when given the option for new users coming through, not only did 75% of people say, I'd just rather use my phone and not use Facebook, even though it was the second option and Facebook was the big option on top. So that was clear um, that they wanted to separate their dating worlds from their um, Facebook world. But the second thing is we got a ton of new users, incremental users, that at some point they were just like, I don't want to mix my dating life. And so now that you give me another option, I'll just sign up. So we saw a big benefit from that too. So that's the first thing. And then the second piece, I think, is that, you know, that um, people use more than one apps. And so if you're a 23-year-old and you're going to be using two or three apps, 
definitively we think you're going to use one of our apps, most likely Tinder. And so we just don't think there's as much of a threat. But, um, but you know, Facebook's got a huge amount of users, and they're going to have—they haven't launched their, right. their uh, feature yet. Um, and so we'll have to watch and see. But um, we don't want to underestimate Facebook, but we just can't imagine a world where people— who are 23 are going to say, oh, I'm going to stop using dating apps and I'm going to use Facebook only. Right. I imagine it'll be, it'll pose a threat to different uh, brands of yours, right? As you mentioned, maybe not Tinder. Maybe the, the demo that's using Tinder is not going to use Facebook. But maybe you mentioned, um, you know, the 50-plus crowd. Yeah, maybe match, that crowd. Match or match. Tended, so the only, the, the, we know very few about it, but Mark Zuckerberg did say that we're not going after hookups, we're going after right. serious relationships. And so, you know, matches a little bit older. It's always been a little bit older. It's always been sort of 30 to 50. Um, and it could. I mean, the other thing which I had alluded to before is the fact that if they go out in these markets, especially in, in these Asian markets where dating is just starting these cultures, they could really, um, it's a stigmatized category. And so normalizing that category actually could open up more opportunity for us in, you know, in Southeast Asia and areas yeah. where just people didn't do it, but they're all on Facebook. So we'll have to see um, how it, yeah. it um, full unfolds, but, um, but certainly something that we're watching. Yeah, it was interesting when they announced it, Mark Zuckerberg did say, hey, this is not for this is for serious relationships. This is not just for hookups. Seemed like a pretty clear dig at Tinder. Um, that's kind of always been the reputation of Tinder. Is it's like if you're in your early twenties and you're just looking to have a good time, um, you know, you hop on Tinder and voila. Does that kind of reputation bother you? Well, I mean, t- you know, it's interesting. Five years ago, when Tinder launched, it, it brought an entirely new audience into dating apps. Like people did not, if you were that young, you just weren't on dating apps. Um, So it made it cool and interesting. Now, the amazing benefit, we had tens of millions of people globally come on into the category, which is pretty incredible. Um, But when you're 18 to 25, you're just not looking to get married. And so I think part of it is just a reflection of that audience and what they actually do. They, it's kind of like when you first go to college and you meet I don't know, a couple hundred people in your first few weeks, you're trying to figure out, like, that. it's a huge funnel. You're trying to figure out who are going to be my friends, who am I going to date, who am I going to hang out with. And it's the same thing when you sort of enter that dating world where you're looking at lots and lots of people to try to figure out um, who you want to connect with, hang out with, and then ultimately maybe be in a relationship. But I can tell you at 21, you're just not looking to get married. Yeah. Nor Nor should you be, in my opinion. Tinder feels like sort of the crown jewel for you guys out of your portfolio. And I don't really know why I say that because as we mentioned, I'm 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 not a user. I'm but that's just like the growth seems to be really big. I yeah. know you guys talk about it a lot on earnings and things. Can you give me a sense of how Tinder is maybe different than other services that you guys own? Well, um Tinder was really the first innovative with, you know, the swipe, the first innovative mobile-only dating product that appealed to this millennial audience. Um, and it really created a new trend. And, you know, that it's wild. I mean, it we incubated it with inside of the company, right. which almost never happens to create lightning in a bottle inside of a bigger company. And so, um, look, we'll take it. Sure. <laughs> so, um, so you own and, the whole thing. Is that um, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is part of the public company and the match, yeah. you know, yeah. the match group. Um, and so anyway, so I think that um, what it did is I think that it gave people—look, we're still early on in, in Tinder. Tinder at this point is a lot of swiping, getting to know people, dating, hanging out. Um, also, as that group ages, we've got to also figure out where are they going to go next. So that's a huge preoccupation of ours. But every person who's like 18, 19, 20 should, should be on Tinder. And the reason they're on Tinder is because— it has certainly, um, you know, gamified. It makes it fun. It's fun yeah. to look at people. It's fun to see who's responding back to you. Um, but I think that's the start. We've got a lot of work to do because we really want to be integrated into people's single social life, especially when they're young. And so what are those touch points and how do we take this product? And you've, you've covered so many businesses where think about the early days of Facebook, the early days of Snap. There's just one feature. Sure. And that one feature actually didn't define the experience. And so that's the journey we're on right now with um, with Tinder. And are you okay with the idea that, you know, if I'm 18 to 24, I use Tinder, and then I graduate to another, you know, match group product? Or 
ideally, would you like that group that's using Tinder now? Do you, you know, do you want Tinder to be the product they use into their late 20s, early 30s? Like, I guess I'm curious how comfortable or, or hard you try to get consumers to go from one product to the next as they evolve mm-hmm. in their dating versus find one that works and then be able to kind of carry them all the way through. Well, I mean, I think it's incredible. I mean, at the core, I'm a marketing and brand person and Tinder cannot, I mean, it'll age a little bit just because then it got introduced on college campuses and we're seeing it age a little bit into people's 20s. Um, but it is really the definition in my mind of kind of mass cool. And we just can't have what happened to other brands happen to our brand, which is like, ooh, my, you know, my older sibling uses it, my dad uses it, my sure. mom uses it. And so I would say even at the expense of alienating older users, we've got to stay young and highly relevant yeah. to that core audience. What is the metric that you look for in an app? I'm sure they're all different. I'm sure the metrics you care about with Tinder are different than Match. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a weird business in the sense that if you do your job really well, I should no longer need your product, right? Like, yeah. if, if you have match me with someone that I want to be with, then I'm no longer dating, and therefore I'm not a customer. So I'm curious how you kind of handle that, right? You want to be good. Is there... A, is there ever thinking like, well, we want to be good, but not too good because people are going to not use this or? Well, you know, the, it's funny. I, I mean, I've heard this question through the years. I mean, our, our goal is that if you find, a, first of all, people are single for long periods of time. And now that we've got a younger audience for the first time in the last five years in the category, they are single for a very long time because the average age, I think, for marriage in the U.S., I think it's like 27, and I think that's for men. And so you're spending, I don't know, almost a decade you know, single from 18 to 27. And so we hope that w- people will come back because it's relevant and they'll date someone, they'll break up, they'll get back together, you know, they'll date someone else. And so hopefully it will be part of that experience. But ultimately, the holy grail is people saying they have a great experience on our products. And so if you open up the New York Times and you see – more than half of the stories in the New York Times marriage section are through dating apps. People are out there. Mm-hmm. It used to be when I started 13 years, 12 years ago, people did not say they met through dating apps even when they got married. Now it's really a badge of um, honor. People thank us and they feel very proud that they're on these apps. And for every person they tell, you know, you've got this word of mouth that is really get, is created. So um, there's still a little bit of stigma in our category in the U.S., but that stigma is much more profound um, outside, particularly in um, in South America and Asia, where where I think that word of mouth and having success and people talking about this success is going to be really important for the growth. I, I'm curious how you actually measure it, though, right? I'm, I'm oh, sure yeah. you're not. I'm so, sure oh, you're you not asked about the KPIs. Clipping New York Times no, no, no. stories. No, no, no. So I, you ask a really important question. So there's a lot of KPIs. You know, people yeah. always say, "Oh, you work for a dating company? How fun!" And yes, I love it, and it's fun, and pretty passionate about it. But um, but it's a hardcore metric-driven mm-hmm. technology company. But what we really look at across all these businesses is well. We used to call them three ways, which sounds much more yeah. uh, provocative it, than yeah. it is. So three-way conversations. Okay. So um, and at some point, it's like, guys, we actually can't say that in meetings. Just say three-way conversations <laughs> instead of three ways. But um, but when I communicate with you, you communicate with back to me, and I communicate back. That is a high degree of confidence that we have that you're going to actually go on a date. And so there's a high correlation between communication, obviously. So it's not like you send me a note and I said, no, thanks. That's why we actually have three points of contact. And then after those three points of contact, we've been able to measure that, you know, the correlation between dates. So everything we do is to try to optimize around those three way, those three ways, those three way communications. And that's across a lot of our platforms, just because ultimately we really do want people to go on dates because that the chemistry is really around when you're sitting across from a table like yeah. you and me right now and, yeah. and really trying to figure out, you know, if you've got a connection. But you're not trying to measure if people get married or how long they stay together or anything like that. Have you thought about that? It seems almost impossible. It's but. hard. I mean, it's really hard. And the other thing, too, is that I just don't want to put out bogus claims in the market. Um, and I think it's very complicated to measure. And I'd rather tell people that, you know, I, I know for a fact how many— dates, relationships, and marriages happen through our apps, but I can't guarantee that. And the other thing, too, is that there's so many impacts that go in. Divorce is complicated, and I know I've been through a divorce, and it's very hard to predict divorce. And Mm so on the flip side, I don't want to predict long-term marriage. Um, But, you know, in this 
country, which Mark Zuckerberg used my quote, which I use all the time, is that a third relationship start with apps. Um, and we've been tracking that over the last 10 years. It didn't used to be that high for sure. I mean, when I first started, it was less than 10%. Yeah. So we've seen this huge surge, and it is the way to date. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine someone in their 20s saying that, I'm never going to use an app because just the chances of meeting someone that you wouldn't have met otherwise, um, you just reduce that chance a lot. I want to go to Bumble first because that's more that's been fun to watch you two uh, kind of battle in the press. So I'm going to do my best to maybe summarize it in 10 seconds. But fun for whom? Fun for me. Fun for <laughs> okay, those okay. of us reading in the, <laughs> so. on the outside because uh, it has been a uh, contentious relationship. But I'm going to try and get up to speed. You can correct me. Sounds like you guys were in talks with them. Then there was a lawsuit. You sued them for uh, some patent infringement stuff. They came into the New York Times, wrote a very uh, aggressive kind of response to you, and then they countersued you. Um, all of this, again, while a lot of people thought, well, maybe Match Group is going to buy Bumble. So where do you stand now? I see two lawsuits, one on each side. I see, uh, you know, people fighting through the press about this or through advertisements in the New York Times? Like, where are you guys? Well, the funniest thing is that I took on this role in January. Um, And, you know, as a female CEO um, in the tech industry, and, you know, some of the discussions I had with my board is that they really encouraged me, you know, you, you know, as a woman, and I'm such a hands-on operator, and and sort of my head tends to be more focused internally, not as much externally. And so my board said, you know, you really need to get out there more. Your story is important. What you're doing with the business is important. And the fact that you're a female um, in the tech industry is is really, it's important, especially at this time. And so I set up, I don't know, I can't remember now the timing, but, you know, a few months after I'd been in the role, I I think it was post-Valentine's Day, I set up a series of meetings for me to talk to a lot of media. And literally the day that that, all those meetings were happening over the next two days, I uh, get a text at 4 in the morning (laughs) from my head of PR saying, do you have the New York Times? And I said, you got it. I said, no. And she said, well, go get it. So I called down at the lobby of the hotel in New York, and they gave it to me and I opened up the page. I was like, oh, my gosh, what a day for this <sighs> to happen. So anyway. It was scathing. It was. Did, uh, it, did it bother you? Um, I mean, it bothered me only because, uh, you know, when people know me and meet me and especially have worked with me, they know that um, that I have integrity. And certainly the last thing in the world you'd ever call me is um, a bully for sure. But it's also, you know, this is a highly competitive space. And then I'll back up and tell you a little bit about the history. You know, when uh, Q4 of last year, towards the end of last year, we got from the U.S. Um, patent office, we got this patent, which is great, which was um, patent around the swiping and unlocking communication, which we were really excited about. And so at the time, we went, we never had that before. So this was, you know, end of last year. And on the earnings call, my first earnings call, we alluded to the fact that we had this patent we're really excited about it. We felt that it really was defensible. Um, and honestly, it's you don't use a patent unless you feel like it's defensible because it's expensive and it takes a long time and it's just not worth it. So anyway, we did, we scoured, looked at all the competition. There were several competitors that were big that were infringing on the patent and also had some you know, an issue around trade secrets. It was specific to swiping, right? That it was, was swiping and unlocking conversation. Yeah. Um, and so we made a decision um, to go after Bumble, Tantan. There's some other ones, too, that we've actually yeah. sent letters to as well that they've now adjusted their products or are in talks with us. Um, and then, of course, smaller products that have use the swipe in a way that looks very much like Tinder, have reached out to us and said, we know that you want to protect your IP, so we actually don't want to get into a situation where our little startup gets shut down, and so what can we do? So I think it's it's an important signal because, you know, this was, um, you know, a patent created by the sort of the genius in our company um, who's still there, who's a founder at, at Tinder, and, you know, it's really important that we protected it. So anyways, so we made the choice to do that, um, and there's definitely uh, conversations going on, and we had signed an NDA with mm-hmm. Bumble. They they don't have an NDA with us. We have an NDA with them, so I've been much more reticent to talk about anything um, in the press, but they went out there and talked a little bit more publicly about it, and, and what I'd say is, like, look, it's a highly competitive space. Um, I do think that, I mean, not I do, I do 
there's real integrity behind that. I, I mean, I felt a little bit mama bearish of like, we got to protect our employees and the, the IP that we work on. Um, the reaction was definitely more extreme than I thought it would be. But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, you'll never know what happens in life. Yeah. And also, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the brand and what, you know, what Bumble has done and what Whitney has done. And so, you know, for me, you know, life goes on um, and we're serious competitors for sure. But I also think that, um, you know, that that rhetoric certainly gets media excited. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, you know, as I tell my kids, and I've got one sitting out here who's 10 and one who's 20, is like, don't get caught up in the fray. Just keep your head down and sort of keep working. And that's what I told the team to do. And that's what we're, we're doing. Have you spoken to Whitney since? I've got a really nice, I mean, I, I think really highly of Whitney and I, I have stayed in touch with her, and I think yeah. she's great. So, um, so that's you know the 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 irony and all this. And I think as a um, as a female in leader in technology, and I have been in the industry a long time. There's not been a lot of women in um, in the category, so it's nice to see. Yeah. And um, and I think that you know, given where what she's done, this branch, you know, done a done a really nice job. What's the thinking uh, when you are talking to a company about? a potential acquisition and then you sue them, right? Like you have to, there has to be some kind of strategy behind that. The implication at the time I remember hearing was like, well, this is a tactic to try and say, hey, we're suing you. This lawsuit could go away if you decide to sell your company to us. Is that fair? Um, I mean, I understand the optics of it, but we also had a timing issue around um, sort of legal process. And so we sort of had an opportunity. like, we have to do this. And the sales process was just taking a while. It could take forever or end tomorrow or end in two months. And so we just, we had to make a move. I mean, honestly, from, there's not much that you can sort of take with you. And, you know, fame, money, all that stuff doesn't sort of matter. At the end of the day, you have to have integrity. And so um, for me, it really, it wasn't about that. And I mean, businesses and deals will come and go, but you've got to make sure in the market that people trust your word and you're not, um, you know, playing games and processes. And so anyway, so I just think it was important for me. And it was just unfortunate. In fact, the truth is I wanted to keep pushing that out, that deadline out. I was like, oh, you know, we'll figure this out sort of, you know, down the road. But we couldn't. We had to sort of make a, a, you know, a little bit of a game time decision on the timing side. And so anyway, but I completely understand the optics of it all, but it wasn't, it just wasn't the case. I think the New York Times, I'm going to butcher the language, but it was something like, we'll never sell to you ever, 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 right? I don't know. I mean, that could still happen. I, I mean, you never know. And I think that sometimes these reactions tend to be, um, as you said, like optically, you know, people were upset because it, I mean, because of the optics and, I think there's emotions involved, but I, you never know. I You're mean, interested, I just, though, it sounds like. I, you know, we look at businesses all the time, um, and, you know, they had started their own process. And so in, in the beginning, they clearly had been reaching out to a lot of different folks in the space, um, both strategic buyers like ours as well as, you know, other investors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's you know, we look at lots of businesses. It has to make sense, and the value has to be right for us because we're not going to pay, um, you know, way above market prices for, yeah. um, or, you know, we're really like smart value buyers, and we've done that way. Barry Dillers run many, many businesses and processes that way, and we are the DNA of IEC, um, right. and that's how he thinks about deals. And so we've got a team that is dedicated 100% of the time to looking at companies and businesses and deals. That's all they do. And so we are, you know, we're looking at businesses outside of the U.S. We're looking at businesses, mm-hmm. um, you know, smaller businesses inside of the U.S. And so um, we've just always been a highly acquisitive okay business. Um, let's talk about a deal that did work for you, which was Hinge. I think you just announced it like a week or two mm-hmm. ago. Um, I know you clarified at the beginning of the podcast that it's a controlling stake. Yes, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, what's that business and, and how did that come together? Hinge has been just one of these really, really interesting entrepreneurial stories. I mean, it goes back to like, you know, me in the beginning, I talked about loving the entrepreneurial stories and these business stories. And you got to give a lot of credit to Justin, who's the CEO there. He created um, real momentum with the Hinge business. And his whole idea was like, how do we create for the millennial audience something that is more intent, higher intent, more serious? Because there are so many 20-somethings coming into the category but when they were looking for something much more higher intent and a real relationship, where do they go next? And so he provided that solution. And his initial real hook was like friends of friends. That was what he ended up doing. He decided um, 
a couple of years ago, maybe it's been a year and a half, now I'm losing track of time, to pivot the product, completely pivot the product. And usually when that happens, you see a business um, really decline, especially if you've got to rebuild up your um, your user base. And the community matters a lot in dating because without the community, you don't have liquidity. You can't match people and it's a shitty experience. And so, so what he did is he like, he created this beautiful product um, and it definitely caught, a, um, you know, some fire, particularly on the East Coast and um, a few markets, New York and Boston, some other markets where they've gotten real traction. And um, during that pivot, well over a year ago, we started talking to him and we have a relationship with a lot of the startups in the community and they were looking for an investment. We made an investment. We put uh, one of our executives was uh, who actually really did the deal was a board member. And so we've been supporting, helping him, uh, been on the board, having visibility into, you know, into obviously what he's been doing. And then, I mean, like I said, one of the reasons we love this business is because the tenacity of the product team and Justin's tenacity. And it doesn't happen often where you have a business that has fire, then, you know, sort of comes down and then goes right back up. And it's just been a great story. Yeah. And word of mouth marketing is, um, because the product is so good, I think has really been what has driven a lot of the growth of the business. And we love those businesses. I mean, we look at businesses that where are paid, like you pay for the brand, like Bumble's an example of that. This particular business, they do very little to no advertising, which is um, is pretty compelling. So how do they, so the money is through what, a subscription or it's just a free service? They don't monetize a ton right now, okay. um, just because the, right now you get a lot of access for free. Most of these apps today, you get a lot of access for free. So there's not a lot of monetization happening on Hinge. Yeah. But um, what we're seeing is we're seeing like, you know, the huge growth in um, user and monthly active users. Yeah. And then people are coming back and they like the experience. And it tells a little bit of a deeper story about who a person is yeah. versus just a photo. Can you tell us how much you paid for Hinge? We can't. I mean, we, we won't disclose that, and it's um, not material enough from a public SEC perspective. But um, but I think it works out great because, you know, Justin and the team, I think, are fired up. The way that when we, we acquire companies, we, we not generally, we let them run independently. But the big benefit that they have is they can get access to everyone, all the mistakes we've made. We've made a lot of them over the last couple of decades. And so... Um, he now will have direct access to every analytical person in the company. He'll be able to have direct access to all the best practices. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, you know, we want them to succeed. And we think that um, their growth is really compelling. A lot of the conversation in kind of broader tech, and again, I write a lot about Facebook, so this is somewhat specific to them, has been this notion of, companies having a monopoly, right? And you guys have a ton of dating services we've talked about. I know there are a lot out there, but I think a lot of the ones that come to mind, I, you know, people may be surprised to know they're all owned by the same company. Do you ever think about that as you are going about your acquisition strategy or just kind of your business more broadly? Like, you know, are, is there any thinking like, okay, we, we can keep acquiring people, but we can't acquire too much? Um, I think there's two thing, ways we've thought about. First of all, I guess technically when it comes to relationships, it's a lot of people meet through bars, but we don't see ourselves competing against bars. So that's what this one argument where people meet through a lot of different ways. It's just one of the ways they meet. Um, and then also when Facebook decided to get into the category, I mean, they really, that is probably one of the biggest competitors. So it changed the competitive yeah. landscape quite a bit. Um, but, you know, if you look at some markets where we, we still have pretty low, um, you know, penetration of this market um, relative this to— This market being the U.S. market, you mean? Sorry, meaning the dating—the global dating, global dating market, dating. it's pretty still pretty small. Um, okay. I mean, if you look at, for example, in India, that dating-slash-marriage market, there's these big players that have brick-and-mortar stores that are more about arranged marriage. And so mm -hmm. if you think about, you know, how big our imprint is, it's still um, relatively small. And, I mean, and also I think there's huge opportunities, which we hadn't talked about, is just— the growth opportunities I don't think are in the U.S., although, I, you know, we're going to continue to grow in the U.S., but that's not where the big trajectory of growth is. It's really outside of the U.S. and Western Europe where you see 
a lot more people. It's going to look like what the U.S. looked like 10 years ago when I was slogging it away at the second brand of Match yeah. and, you know, trying to grow um, the portfolio because we knew that there's a lot of different people with different needs. And so how do we solve those needs? So um, it's certainly something that we're cautious about. But given the landscape right now, it doesn't seem to be as big of a, a, th- yeah. a existential threat for us. What is the uh, one international market that you're most kind of intrigued with right now or, or that maybe um, – people would be interested to know is a big opportunity for you? South America is a big, there's, it's a big opportunity. Culturally, there's not as much stigma and there's a lot of, we have a lot of users. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be around people feeling comfortable and starting to pay for products. So that's one. And then I would say the markets that I'm really excited about are markets where the generational gap is starting to get, become profound. So in India, my husband's from India and we went to my nephew's wedding in December and it was crazy because my sister-in-law, that generation, my husband was the first person in his family to not have an arranged marriage. And so, and my sister-in-law had an arranged marriage. But that next generation, my nephew's generation, very few to no one has arranged marriage. So there's just a big change generationally right. going on there. And so I think India is a big opportunity. And we're seeing it's one of our highest growing yeah. markets in for Tinder in particular and young urban uh, markets. And I just think that's just, it's it's such a huge population, yeah. and more and more people want to find partners outside of the traditional ways. Got it. I think maybe one more question. Technologically, uh, I'm, I joked when you got <laughs> you told us a funny story about matching with your nephew, I think it was. You know, the AI is huge in this, right? Like, people can decide pretty quickly when they get on a service if they think it's a good use of their time, right? If they feel that they're being matched with people that actually have a chance of dating. Um how good is the technology getting and, and kind of where do you feel like you like where do you feel that you are in terms of perfecting the matching technology that you use? Well, I think, you know, with some of our products, for example, with Tinder, we don't have a lot of data because it's just your your photo and very little information. There's other apps that we have, for example, OkCupid. Uh, plenty of fish and match where we know a lot about you because you give us a lot of information. And so we have a lot more data points to you know, improve the matching algorithms. But AI is changing things, allows us to get much more predictive in terms of matching. But look, I mean, it's not just this three-way communication that we try to optimize around for these businesses. It's really around ultimately, I mean, the holy grail for me is around being able to predict that you're going to have chemistry before you actually go out and have a beer with someone. And so as you think about not just AI, um, but also around what can we provide, what features can we provide within these uh, products that allow people to get to know someone in a way that they wouldn't have with just a one-dimensional photo and a swipe. Yeah. So that includes things like video technology, which is there. I mean, we, we, we've got to figure yeah, out you guys a way. just started using video, or who was it, Tinder's just Tinder, started using yeah, video, Yeah, a right? bunch of our different products do, but we just uh, have a three-second video on, on Tinder. Um, and so it's not just that. It's more about, like, what are the ways to get to know people in a more profound way. We just launched places on Tinder, for example. And it's not just lat long where you cross, but it's around, you know, you are where you go. So you live in San Francisco. Yeah. I don't know if you live in San Francisco, I do, but yeah. you live in San Francisco, you go to your coffee shop, you go to an art gallery, you do whatever the things you do. You now have the ability through Tinder to figure out, you know, I now I can see who, it's past tense. So it's not currently, especially because we want to protect um, women's safety. So if you leave an, an establishment, a bar, a restaurant, a coffee shop, it'll ask you if you want to um, see who's actually has been at that in the past. And so who you are, where you go says so much. And we think yeah. a lot of these apps using technology, you know, uh, location technology, um, video technology is going to get so much better at really figuring out much more about like who you're going to have chemistry yeah. with. And I said that was the last question, but I realized we just talked this whole time. I never asked you once about funny dating stories. I imagine you've only heard a million great dating stories as the CEO of a dating company. Are there any that come to mind? Oh, God. I mean, every time I sit on a plane, which I told you I live on a plane, people ask me for dating advice, which yeah. is so funny. And there's two people that I've said, you know, you should really try match. And I've actually just, as a being a nice person, I've comped them. Both people have found their spouses unmatched. Really? So texted me or emailed me back, yes. Um, oh, I mean, you know, we've got like millions of dating stories out there. Um, I, you know, I, I just think that it's like, for example, we just um, had a great event at Match where we did a honeymoon game. It was really fun where we asked people questions about four couples came in and we asked them 
questions about the other, sorry, the newlywed game. We asked them about their partners. It was yeah. really fun. We had people from Tinder and OkCupid and Plenty Fish, and they got in front of us on a stage. And, um, and one of the couples that met, they went to grade school, they went to high school, and they went to college together to A&M. They had never met any of those places, and wow. they um, got on match and met through match. And so we hear these kind of stories all yeah. the time, which are well, sweet, not funny, but, you know, sometimes you just you pass these people that, you know, might have been your match and you never had a never chance knew. to get to know them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Kara, back to you. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.